we've got the one of the many Noahs in the Solana ecosystem to join us today and compressed NFTs. They're a thing, allegedly. They're super whamadine. Technical word, by the way, whamadine, in case you're wondering. I want to hear about how like helium can you actually just like talk about helium and like you're gonna start there or are we gonna start with like who the f is noah and what did he do before this right like <laughs> i mean yeah sure like who are you noah i just, i, I want to know about helium so bad oh well before it before it's a long story helium we're going to bring another acronym to the ecosystem so now we'll have dpin which is like decentralized yes. physical infrastructure network but the idea is basically letting the people build multiple different kinds of networks now. So it used to just be this thing called Lower One, which is like a really long distance signal for like IoT devices. So think like temperature sensors, moisture sensors on farms, like package tracking, things like that, but is now also supplying like 5G mobile signal in the US. I and mean, we'll probably do Wi-Fi and a whole bunch of other networks. But the idea is instead of having like Verizon or somebody go out and deploy a bunch of hotspots and like they have to buy the land up and put it in a tower. Instead, why not just allow people to go buy a hotspot and put it in their house and then earn tokens for having provided internet to everybody using that network. And so it turns out this is a really great use case for crypto and tokens because you can bootstrap a network really, really quickly and get around that kind of chicken and egg problem of like, who's going to use your network if you have no coverage? But you know, who's going to provide coverage for a network that has no users type of thing. And so crypto has kind of solved that. Helium has evolved from being one network to many network, which is networks, which has introduced this whole idea of sub DAOs, which we can get into. But the, you know, the infrastructure that we've built on Solana is <laughs> pretty extensive just because of the evolution of, of Helium. Before we dig in too much, because because like I agree with Nick. I freaking love the idea behind Helium. I hadn't heard of it much before Breakpoint, but I, I went and did the Helium hackathon at Breakpoint and that kind of stuff. It was, it was a lot of fun. But before we dig in, I yeah, it was it was one of the coolest oh, things. Did you actually. Train? Uh, uh, no, it was, it, was, it was a really good time. And I got to keep a couple of sensors afterwards. Like I have them in my bedroom somewhere. I have a whole bunch of like IoT stuff that I don't play with often enough. But I would love to get like the two minute version of your background before Helium, because you were heavily involved in Solana prior to joining Helium, if I recall correctly, and did a lot of cool stuff surrounding NFTs. Is that correct? Yeah. So prior to Helium and prior to Solana, I was working in fintech. So I was running a like a big data infrastructure team at a market maker here in Chicago. So handling like terabytes of data a day and indexing it properly. My brother... It's kind of my claim to fame on Solana um, is the one who pulled me over here. So my brother is Jordan, the one who like originally wrote Metaplex. And so, yeah, he kept nagging me that I should come over to crypto. And, you know, eventually his voice won out. So when I first got here, it was this was like back when BitClout was exploding. And I thought the idea of social tokens was really cool. But I actually I didn't like they had this like weird monospace Twitter thing going on. And I thought that nobody would use their Twitter people wanted to use actual Twitter. So I just like, I, I wanted to learn Rust and I wanted to learn Solana. So I did like a little hackathon project where I like overlaid creating tokens on Twitter. And it just like, it, it took on a mind of its own. Like investors were interested and we kind of rolled, we rolled with it. Now, eventually social tokens didn't really pan out. NFTs kind of ended up being the thing that you use to leverage a community. But we built this really, really sick 
technology for like launching and managing tokens. And we realized that that was generally viable. So we kind of pivoted to Strata, which was general tooling for launching tokens. Uh, and we pivoted to general tooling for launching tokens right as a bear market hit and nobody was interested in launching tokens anymore. <laughs> um, so the, the site's still up. It's really, really cool tech, but we weren't really getting that much traffic and it wasn't that viable of a business model. Meanwhile, you know, Helium was coming to Solana and they were looking for a team that had, honestly, a lot of the stuff that we built at Strata is things that they wanted. Um, for example, our bonding curves are used for the, uh, the treasury curve in Helium. So there's a lot of things that we built that they needed and they needed a team to build out the Solana implementation. So it was, it was kind of a natural fit for us to, you know, just transition over to Helium. And Strata is still open source. Anybody can use it. People are still using it. Unfortunately, it has a bug right now because somebody changed their API and now the code is rotted. Uh, so if uh, anybody wants to do a pull request, please <laughs> go fix that. I don't a, have time. That, that's actually what this podcast is for. We're here to publicize Noah's announcement that you should go submit a pull request. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, that's it. That's it. So real quick. I remember when you announced on Twitter that sort of you were, uh, the strata team was moving over to helium. Did helium take the whole, like acquire the whole team to, to come on board? Yeah. That's That's awesome. How many are there? How many are there in your team? Uh, not that many. So I guess I shouldn't say the whole team. We kept it pretty small. It was just three of us engineers and we had a, um, like a, a marketing kind of, I mean, I call it marketing, but like when it's a startup, <laughs> you've got to wear like a trillion different hats. So we had another guy, Frank, they just acquired basically the engineering team, basically like Helium has their own comms, marketing and all that stuff. So, um, but we made sure we you know, took care of them. Got it. Cool. That's super awesome. It, it sounds like in addition, you mentioned bonding curves. It sounds like you have plenty of experience with like managing massive levels of infrastructure as, as well. So like Helium seems like a great fit for your background, which is pretty sweet. Yeah, I was I was kind of happy to go back to managing infrastructure after doing all the data infra. But I honestly, like <laughs> designing systems of smart contracts on Solana also feels very similar to my data infra days because it's like all about like how you model your data. You need to model it correctly and like kind of splitting things into contracts that are single responsibility. But, you know, defining the boundaries of interaction between these smart contracts it, it feels very much like setting up microservices and data pipelines between them. Are you the one that tweeted the other day that writing Solana programs actually isn't that hard and people should stop, stop complaining? It's not. Okay. <laughs> the, the fucking TypeScript is the worst part. <laughs> I don't think I said it in those words. <laughs> I don't think I said it. I remember seeing that tweet. You basically did say it was like, it's 90% yeah. TypeScript, 10% Rust. Yeah. I hate and TypeScript. Like, it, it's was true. Like, like the gist you of spend your tweet. 10% of the time writing this like beautiful smart contract. And then you spend 90% of the time chewing the glass so that like the TypeScript actually calls it properly. Because like Solana's model is just like, yeah, I don't know. You go figure out how to fetch all of these accounts and then I'll validate yeah. them. Yeah. Um, and there's actually a lot of interesting work going on. I mean, I guess you guys know about this at like foundation labs and across the ecosystem around interfaces and how to do kind of dynamic account resolution. But I think that could eliminate a, a lot of the glass. And we already yes. added some stuff to Anchor that does account resolution and TypeScript. So it has actually gotten a lot better since the early days of Solana. I mean, the early days of Solana, it was legit like it felt like balancing a checkbook. 
because you didn't even have like named accounts because you didn't have anchor. So you had to pass the exact right accounts in the exact right order. And if you didn't pass the exact right accounts in the exact right order, the error basically amounted to go after yourself. Like there was no, it was not like this particular account at this particular index was wrong. It was just like, yeah, this is wrong. Sorry. So yeah, Solana has gotten like 10 times easier. I spend a lot of time now kind of building on the periphery. The actual bit that is writing the smart contracts just isn't that bad anymore. So I'm kind of curious about that of how this, like how early you're like, Solana Rust engineering team was like acquired to join Helios or sorry Helium. <laughs> yeah, it's not gonna, Helios. It's trip me up for eternity. <laughs> Mert, Mert would love that. Um, but no. <laughs> I, yeah, I. So like, I'm curious how this like process went. Did your team basically do like the entirety of the like Solana portion for Helium, or was there already some amount of Solana oriented infrastructure and, and code already written? And I'm curious how that like kind of kind of went yeah so it worked out really well because they so for context the reason why helium is coming over to solana a number of reasons but one they hit scaling issues rewind to the beginning of helium the entire blockchain was actually running on the hotspots themselves and these things have like roughly the compute of like a raspberry pi which is really interesting and really cool but eventually that got bottlenecked right once you start hitting tens of thousands of hotspots that got bottlenecked so they transitioned to, this was like, I think, you know, early on before like Solana was even a thing, they transitioned to writing their own blockchain because uh, they actually correctly figured that ETH would become too expensive and it didn't have the throughput they needed. What? So they made Shocker. validators um, and, you know, they had the hotspots turn into these kind of lightweight things. And then they're all going through the Helium L1, which is like hyper, hyper specific to their use case. So like it's doing all of the proof of coverage calculations and stuff. And this worked for a while, but, you know, they've hit the scale now where you're talking like a million hotspots. I think right now, like four or 500,000 of them are online. And even trying to calculate proof of coverage on these things on a blockchain is just hitting bottlenecks. And, you know, the, the blockchain itself is written in Erlang, so it's harder to find Erlang developers and it's, you know, getting a little bit flakier. Um, and so, you know, when they made this decision to write the blockchain, it, it made sense but now that Solana is a thing and it's moved further along, kind of makes sense to move to a different blockchain. Now, with this, the idea was, all right, like we're not going to bring the exact same problems from our blockchain to another blockchain, which is to say like proof of coverage and you know all of these calculations around sending packets are large, right? Like probably too large for any blockchain to handle. And so it's migrated to the system of oracles where people are running oracles that's summing up the amount of data that goes through each hotspot and the location of the hotspots and then proving that they cover a certain area so that they can get rewards. So all the rewards are calculated off chain in these oracles. And then the entire kind of token flow of the system is on Solana, which is what we built. And so it was a real nice separation because the Helium team was kind of already working on these oracles. And so all our team had to do was kind of come in and build the actual like token infrastructure on chain and some new stuff. So, you know, this idea of DAOs and sub DAOs and how tokens flow from the DAO to the sub DAO so that the tokens are kind of bound to each other, which incidentally is something that we did a little bit of at Strata as well. But yeah, it was a, it was a nice separation. It's not all us. There's a bunch of other people at Helium Foundation. Helium Foundation's grown a ton. 
that that are helping us out now as well. But then Nova Labs has also done a ton of work on the oracles. And so taking that whole entire rewards calculation piece out, obviously gave us a more focused thing to work on. That's that sounds super sick. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'm curious, like, what's the mechanism? You, like you, you mentioned a lot of people like the oracles are kind of split up. So is it kind of like a decentralized oracle system or is it kind of helium owned oracles? So unfortunately, right now it's just helium running the oracle. Okay. Our next step really after we do the migration, if fingers crossed, it goes off without a hitch and everything's just working. Our next step is actually to decentralize that. Um, cool. So, you know, it's written in HIPS helium improvement proposals like there are tokens that are set aside for people running oracles and things like that. So that like it's teed up. We're ready to go. We just need to build a lot of the tech so that anybody can go kind of become an approved oracle and run yeah. one. Um, like I'd like to see there being, you know, more than one, at least three would be nice. But like as many as nine would be awesome. Uh, and I would also, you know, like to see different Oracle clients, like different ways of running the calculation, sort of like Solana has fired answer coming soon. The dream for every blockchain, right? Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, you want to see this thing as decentralized as possible. Like it makes me nervous, honestly, having it be in a state of not being decentralized, yeah. but you know, we just, you, you can't do everything at once. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's gotta be where it is, Yeah, but you know, it's a lot harder to, you know, mess with the data and stuff if you've got a bunch of people running it. Totally, totally understand. Dude, it sounds like there are so many moving pieces with the Helium architecture that like I'm just mind blown at at really all the engineers over there. But but like especially you guys who are working on the Solana side of things who are like, yeah, we're bridging this gap between Solana, which is already a non-trivial program architecture and and these various devices the whole thing seems crazy to me i love helium if only because it's an example of an incredibly complex system that you can build on top of a blockchain yeah i like it because it's got like i don't know it's interesting to me right like most of most of what's built on the blockchain only exists on the blockchain it's really cool to have that physical aspect of it like oh like here's my hotspot but my hotspot is also an nft like i don't know can you actually talk about like kind of how that works so like you so at like a super high level to make sure I understand you have like the hotspot which you could think of it as like your your home router but super beefed up right and that's if you're doing like the IoT one and then there's like the five G nodes access points whatever you want to call them that people can also run which are even more souped up because they're you know supporting five G the five G spectrums so like a person runs one of these hotspots the hotspots are maintained as an NFT. And they're compressed NFTs, which we'll talk about. The hotspot itself, it, it gets minted as an NFT to like track it on chain somehow. And then it connects to the Oracle, which does the, some sort of validation to say, hey, this is like, but just still securely saying like, hey, this is your location. This is like your your area of coverage. And then I would assume some sort of like data metrics of, this is your potential throughput. This is how congested your personal network is. Things like that. Is that like a real quick and dirty understanding? Correct. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's interesting because like we tell people these things are NFTs, and I think still a lot of the world is thinking like an NFT is an image, like it's a JPEG. It has to be an right? image. Yeah, it's what people it's just assume because it was like the first predominant use case. 
My least favorite thing about blockchain yeah. is like NFTs are JPEGs. It's like, no, it's just an asset. Like it's an asset. It's a that certificate can't be... of authenticity. Yeah. And it, that's what and it has an owner. Is. And like, that's really yeah. what we care about the most, right? We don't care about the image on it. It is an asset and it has an owner. And the reason that's important is because the rewards accumulate to the asset. And then whoever owns the asset can then claim the rewards off of them. How do you kind of, how does the whole NFT hotspot work? Like, how are you associating an NFT with a physical item and with, and like with all the potential like security holes that that could open of someone could clone it somehow? Like, how do you, how do you deal with the physical nature of it? Yeah. So that's like probably one of the most complex pieces of Helium uh, on Solana. I and <laughs> I also kind of, <laughs> why we've so thoroughly beaten the crap out of compression and like ran into errors that nobody else has run into because onboarding a hotspot on helium so the way it's modeled is it's not just helium that manufactures hotspots in fact helium foundation doesn't make hotspots there are like 40 or so manufacturers that make them and those manufacturers we call makers and so when you want to onboard a hotspot One, the maker needs to approve. So that's like the maker needs to sign the transaction. Two, the hotspot itself actually has a private key. So it can sign transactions. But it can only sign Helium transactions, not Solana transactions. And then obviously like the user would need to sign to onboard. So you have these kind of three signatures that need to happen for a hotspot to get onboarded. And I'll spare the complex details of it, but we're definitely not using like a candy machine to mint these things. Um, and so, um, yeah, the minting infrastructure is, is fairly complex and, you know, that makes, you know, we've done things with compressed NFTs where like, it's not picking up an NFT because it was minted in like a triply nested CPI call. And like, you know, there were multiple NFTs minted at the same time in that same transaction too. Yeah. Austin, Austin, for, well, not from Metaplex anymore, but Austin can tell you. Formerly of Metaplex, it. yeah. <laughs> yeah, formerly of Metaplex. Austin can tell you how much <laughs> how much heat we gave him <laughs> over all the complex stuff we were doing with compressed NFTs. But as a result, they're in a much better place now. And for us, it was kind of like we were minting a million of these things. So, I mean, they talk about the cost of minting a million NFTs on Solana. I think even at Solana's current price, it's still probably two or $300,000. It's 12,000 soul to mint 1 million NFTs. Yeah, and what is that? I just know, I was, I just I know that say, number off the top of my head now. How did you just that out so fast? Because it, no, compression. It, right. <laughs> it does sound it's right. It's 12,000. Each traditional uncompressed NFT is about 0.012 soul. Do math, 12,000 soul to make 1 million NFTs. With compression, I'm starting to phrase it this way, with the uncompressed composability equivalent is about 56 soul with compressed nfts that is oh you're massive. talking like if you have a canopy that's large enough to yep it's it's to make it so your canopy there. is so if you do a tree of uh was it like 19 maybe 20 with a canopy of of uh depth 17. minus three yeah. yeah so that way you have you have exact same amount of composability as a traditional uncompressed nft because you have to send your three accounts makes it so if you have your everything else is on chain you know canopy all that good stuff then uh 56 soul. Yep. That's, yeah, that's some, that's nine, some 95% of listeners have no idea what you're talking about right now, Nick. Started started using Look, these, these uh, terms from compression where like 
the docs aren't even out yet. So most people have no idea how hey, compression I opened, works. <laughs> that's fair. I opened the PR Myself today. Myself included. To, to I don't like, know how this works. <laughs> to, that's true. So like, I, I can give you a quick and dirty rundown. So like with compressed NFTs, you have to, so when you mint a normal NFT, you, you create a collection that's just represented as an NFT using the Metaplex standard. You create a collection and then you can mint NFTs. You basically just say, hey, this is part of that collection. You mint it. It stores the account, the metadata on chain. And it's, that's that rent storage cost that you're going to pay of that 0.012 soul per uncompressed NFT. With compressed NFTs, you have to create a tree, a Merkle tree on chain. And you have to allocate that space ahead of time. The state compression on Solana uses a concurrent Merkle tree and it stores part of the proof on chain. So it's like the, you can kind of think of it like extra accounts that you have to send with every transaction that you want to transfer or manipulate the NFT. So if you want to like update the metadata or whatever, or to change the ownership, you have to send all these accounts. So like that is basically the depth of your tree. So if you are having a tree that can hold 1 million NFTs, it's a binary tree. So you can just like kind of visualize it that way. To store that 1 million NFTs, you have to have a depth of like 19 or 20, whatever number it is. So you would basically have to submit 20 additional addresses with every transaction. And you can't do that because you would hit the transaction size limits. So your transaction would fail. So you have this thing called a canopy which is basically you can take a portion of all of those 20 addresses that you would have to send with the transaction and the canopy, you store those on chain. So in the thing that Noah and I were just talking about, you would store 17 of those 20 addresses on chain. So that way, when you go to transfer your compressed NFT, you only have to send the remaining three address and then the on-chain program can handle everything else in the background to make it so you have the total of this is the, one. Is that canopy but, any different than just like a lookup table? Uh, under the hood, yes. But like in the, in like as like a theoretical construct, kind of okay. no. Because they're not technically addresses. They're basically just, they're proof nodes of the Merkle tree, which are just represented as a base 58 value, which, it. so it looks like a Solana address. Um, cool. Cool. The canopy is the canopy is deep, deep Jerry magic with lots of bitwise Basically, math. Yeah. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I am able to understand how it works, but I'm only able to hold it in my head for like one coding session and then it's gone. <laughs> it just floats away. Nice. Um, yeah. I, honestly, I mean, dude, I, it's like, yeah, it's like it's, a lot of flows, you know, you forget them after you've learned them yeah. every single time. Yeah. <laughs> You just brain dump it because it's like, I don't need this anymore. Yeah, it's like I, my my brain has eight gigs of RAM and that puts me at like 7.9. So I got to empty it. <laughs> Perfect analogy. I love it. Well, sweet. What's the timeline for the official migration? Yeah, so it'll be happening April 18th. Um, so so early soon. soon here. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. That's what, like almost two weeks away to the day. Yeah, ask me how you Stretch. run a million transactions in a day. <laughs> you nervous? <laughs> a little. Um, <laughs> the, the answer is you don't run a million transactions in a day. That would be mean. But I mean, you could do the math. The we're what like four four thousand five thousand ish EPS. You could do some math and then figure out how many transactions Solana is currently processing per day. Well, the the real TPS I'm, I'm super, is the real TPS yeah, is like, like five hundred or something. 
Um, but the other problem is that's not representative of how many transactions you can actually send because you're going to have contestion over like what writable really accounts. Right state. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so we've got. That was like, going to be one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is because <laughs> you said you're splitting up a lot of the portions of the the I'll say the the Solana specific helium things. You're splitting up those into multiple programs, which makes a lot of sense for a lot of technical reasons of Solana. And I was curious of your thoughts on that and any other information you want to share about it. Yeah, so where possible, we tried to architect this so that the contracts are reusable. And I think generally you just want to build software like this. Like you want to make things like generally useful pieces. Um, and when you design like this, usually what ends up happening is all of the business logic gets pushed into like one place where you're like, well, I guess this is where the business logic is. <laughs> so there's this contract that is like Helium SubDAOs, which is that and Helium Entity Manager are basically the dumping ground for like all of the like Helium specific logic. But the rest of the contracts, like the Treasury Management contract, we just wrote a really simplified fan out wallet. I mean, you could use Metaplex Hydra. It's just this one's a lot less complicated. It only works for one token account and works by issuing tokens. But I don't want to get too much into that. But we have a lot of like generically usable contracts that I've been tweeting about. Um, because I, I want people to use it. So for example, like I think the, we have this thing called the lazy distributor and that contract is how we associate rewards that are coming from oracles with NFTs. So rewardable entities, hotspots, what have you, but it's specifically made to be generic. Like it doesn't really care as long as you're associating rewards with an NFT with the idea being that future deep in projects could come onto Solana and just pick this contract right up. Because I think the correct model for D-PIN projects is to have oracles deciding what gets what rewards because it's just, at least with the current blockchain technology, at a certain scale, you're just, you're not going to be able to write that many to chain. And I don't think you want to. Like, I don't think you want to be writing millions of send token transactions to the chain every single day because there's no point, right? Like, most people aren't claiming their rewards every day. They don't need their rewards every day. They need them when they want to go do something with those tokens. So it kind of makes sense for those rewards to accumulate on the hotspot. Uh, and then they go when they want to use them, they claim them. And that's one transaction. So it just greatly reduces the, the load put on any blockchain, really, by doing really anything that's high volume, doing it lazily, which is, you know, kind of a general that's programming crafty, truism. Like do things lazily when possible. <laughs> I prefer the term efficiently. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. I like to do the most efficient amount of work. Okay, hey, um, just kidding. Uh, I do you work. do work all the time. There's pull I'm, requests you I'm, can verify. I'm far lazier than you are. <laughs> that architecture sounds awesome. That's that's super cool. I guess I haven't been tracking your tweets well enough to to know that you know you've been tweeting about all of these reusable contracts. I'll have to I'll have to dig in a little bit on my own time and and see what I can see what I can steal from you basically. Yeah, I've been trying to Yo, do huge shout out for Noah's tweets on like his <laughs> Rust code. He does like these massive threads on like here's like a snippet of code in Rust, and then he does like fifty seven threads on like explaining it, and they are like phenomenally insightful. I love them. I'm like learning Rust through Noah's tweets. <laughs> Is that all right? I'm learning Rust. Is through. that hard for you, Nick? To, <laughs> to feel learning, like you have to. I'm learn learning Rust. Rust through Armani suites. <laughs> James, do you want to talk about front end things again? Do I want to talk about front end things? Of course not. Come on, you don't. 
You know the answer. <laughs> not a front end. Not a front uh, end. Dev. Yeah, I. Nah, yeah. I, I JavaScript. <laughs> we all have to be front end devs at some point. Everybody wants to be it's the true. Rust dev, but you have to do the TypeScript. I think that's what Abraham Lincoln said in the Gettysburg Address. <laughs> yeah, I often use that to test large things of text. But <laughs> yeah, I think I've been trying to do like one big tweet thread a week leading up to the Helium launch and hopefully after it. Nice. So we've got one out there. The very first one was on circuit breakers, which like, please, 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 if you have like a DeFi protocol or anything that's managing any kind of like tokens whatsoever, go take a look at the circuit breaker contract. There's no reason that an exploit should drain your entire treasury. Not when you can just wrap it in a simple contract that basically stops or slows the token flow when something wonky is happening. Nice. So that was the first thread. Second thread was on account resolution. And we've added some things to the Anchor TypeScript SDK so that you no longer have to do that horrible, horrible dance where you fetch 10 15 different accounts and then provide them to the instruction. That's the has one addition um, that you guys made to the seed inference. Yeah, has one. And then you can also provide custom resolvers, which nice. I think is probably the most powerful part because then instead of having to write an SDK method for every single method in your contract, which is I think what you generally see people doing, um, which creates these like thousand line TypeScript files of just basically wrapping things and fetching accounts to instead you just write one composable function definition that is telling it how to fill in accounts with different names. Oh, that's, that's it, awesome. It's I, kind of similar to the way like GraphQL does things. Yeah. But our TypeScript SDKs are remarkably thin. They're like a few hundred lines of code, if that. Oh, that's that's amazing. That, that's super cool. I'm going to have to add that to our, uh, add that to the anchor front end stuff in the soul dev course. Yeah. I it, it, it like, we would not have been able to write the amount of contracts that we wrote in this six months if we were writing full TypeScript SDKs as we did for Strata for them. It just like would not have been possible. Um, so if you go look at like the Helium program library repo, the way the TypeScript stuff is modeled is completely di different than I don't. I mean, I don't think I've seen any other projects doing it because it's like a completely new pattern. I feel like the theme of this conversation is that if you want something done incredibly efficiently, talk to Noah. <laughs> I'm lazy. What can I say? <laughs> you say, I mean, you're clearly not lazy because you've built out so many tools that everybody else who's actually lazy can use. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I hope so. I don't know. We'll see. The, the big, the big uh, challenge on, you know, getting people to use it is usually number two. Like, I think, you know, we put a lot of emphasis on like, oh, who writes the tool? But the first person that uses it and like kind of chews through all the glass it's really important. Like I think Candy Machine back in the day, like Levi and a couple of others came along and they used it and they wrote docs and they made it really easy for people to like digest. And the same thing now is kind of happening with compression. Like <laughs> when I first got to compression, the people at Metaplex, the people at Solana, they're like, yeah, it's ready to go. Like it's going to be, it's going to be on mainnet soon. We have all of these RPCs like lined up to go. And that was true. But like, you know, nothing holds up to first users, right? Uh, and people starting to use the product. So we broke it a lot. Dialect broke it a lot. I think Crossman has been has been breaking it. But that's kind of that's how progress works, right? Like you just have everybody hacking on this thing until it gets into a better state. And it's really hard to do that without people hacking on it. 
And that's actually one thing that makes me like, I'm pretty confident in the migration because we've had the whole thing deployed on DevNet for a couple of months now. Um, but, you know, this this helium migration is crazy to me because it's so binary, right? Like, usually you build software and as you build software, you evolve with the community and the users. And so you slowly get more volume. But here we're talking like it's a binary switch, right? Like we're just <laughs> going from, Turn it uh, on. you know, the users testing to the million or so users of helium, right? Like it's, <laughs> uh, it's a lot. How's that migration going to happen transitioning from using the, I guess the deprecated helium blockchain to then transitioning into the actual Solana blockchain? Yeah. So there's going to be a period of downtime, but basically what happens is the helium chain gets halted. We take a snapshot of basically all the state that's on there. And then we migrate that state to Solana. Now, the way that state is migrated to Solana is actually pretty cool. We, Tell I mean, me. Those of you compression fans out there will love this if you love Merkle trees. Oh, that's me. <laughs> um, so like the very first challenge I was thinking of with Helium was like, all right, like we're going to have probably a million transactions, maybe more that need to go to Solana, all with like contested writable accounts. And like. I don't want to be sitting there trying to blast the full state of Solana in a 24 hour limit down time, right? Like it, something's yeah, going to go wrong. The transactions aren't going to go through. Something's going to happen and we're not going to be able to do it in 24 hours. And then add to that, I've watched people try and do things like airdrops in the past where they're just like all sorts of botched things happening. Transactions get sent through twice. Some transactions don't go through at all. And so like guaranteeing exactly once execution on these transactions is, is also kind of hard. And you don't want to be piping through a billion at once and slow down Solana or really you wouldn't even slow down Solana anymore. It would just start ignoring you because of all the you know new quick stuff. So <laughs> like, how do you solve this problem? And that was kind of the one of the very first challenges that I sat down with. And so what we've done is we've actually compressed all of the like a million transactions that we need to run into a single 32 byte Merkle root on chain with a canopy. And so what happens is when you want, want to run a transaction, you say permissionlessly, I want to run transaction at index zero. Then you send the proof for that transaction and the actual contents of that transaction to the blockchain. And the contract verifies that the proof is correct. And then it runs that transaction and then it creates a PDA at index zero that blocks that transaction from ever being run again. So you guarantee that the transaction executes exactly once because the next time you run that instruction with the same transaction, it'll fail because that PDA is there. But also migration day, the only thing we have to write is 32 bytes plus a canopy. And then as users go and log on to their wallets, they submit their own transactions to, we're calling it like seeding their wallet. It's kind of like inflating their wallet with all the state. So we've got a server that's running that basically says, oh, you are this wallet. That means you are transaction IDs five, six, seven, and eight. Uh, and here are the proofs for those. Go submit those to the blockchain. Dude, that's legit. Oh, I love that so I much. Only got, I only uh -huh. got like 55% so like of that. So 
<laughs> yeah, it's deep. It's deep technical mumbo jumbo, but it's working in a similar way to the way James James NFT didn't works. quite hit consensus on it. Yeah. I'm, I'm over here just like brain rattling still. Um, like I uh, like block, I I, I got I got enough of it to be like uh, this is cool, but not enough that I could say it back to you very well. So okay, so like let me try to say Please. it back. So <laughs> so like you're making it. You're oh, that's that's like. And I think like without compression, this just like wouldn't be viable or like or this wouldn't be viable with a reasonable amount of downtime. Because yeah, like it'd still be viable, even, but you would have to like, just, just like, spam mainnet basically. Yeah, this is literally it's just a Merkle tree. We we yanked some code from compression. Yeah. Mostly I yanked Jerry's canopy magic from compression. But it is just it's just a Merkle tree. It's just saying like, hey, let's take all this, you know, helium state and compress it down to 32 bytes. <laughs> so I'm curious what state actually has to get transitioned. You said it's like a user inflating their wallet. Is it a user takes their keys for their helium wallet? They sign a transaction or I guess they like actually have to send a transaction to the cluster to like mainnet to interact with the canopy. You validate the proof that they send and then you could be like, yep, the proof checks out because of compression and Merkle trees. And then you're just like writing that state to the chain at that point, just at whenever the user wants to finally do it from their wallet. Is that the gist of it? Yeah. So what's, so I guess one thing is what state are we migrating? So the state that we're migrating is all of the hotspots, all of the tokens. So IOT, HNT, mobile, HST, staked HNT. That's basically it. Uh, oh, data credits as well. So basically all of the tokens and all of the, the hotspots on, on the chain. Now, an interesting thing about Helium is that it uses ED25519 keys, the same exact key mm-hmm. that Solana uses, which, which means for the great How majority convenient. of, yeah, the great majority of Helium wallets are literally Solana wallets. Like you can take a Helium public key and map it directly to a Solana public key. And likewise, you can take your Helium private key and use it as a Solana private key. Which is really Why cool. Why do you say the great majority of them? Uh, What's the old, caveat then? Old wallets use these things called ECC compact keys. Um, oh, okay. Different so, keys, gotcha. Yeah, those are those are kind of excluded, but the great majority of them use the, like we're talking like 99.9% of them use the basically gotcha. the same okay, cool. key as Solana, which means that we can actually just pickle the entire state of Helium and say, this wallet gets this, this wallet gets this, this wallet gets this. Which means it's entirely permissionless to say, hey, inflate or seed the state for this wallet on Solana. And then it runs the transactions against the state route that says, hey, you need to transfer five HNT and these three hotspots to this wallet because that's what was on Helium. And then, you know, makes it so. So, yeah, we're we're just lazily inflating the wallets. I love that. Okay, I, I I get it a little more now. It's it's just what you were saying about like lazy instantiation of things, right? Is you're saying like we're just going to port over the what, and then every individual user is going to run their own transaction to actually to actually make stuff happen. That way, you're not moving all the state at once. You're basically like moving this route that does the proofs of things, and then every and then everyone can run when it makes sense for them. Exactly. And like, you don't expect all million people that use Helium to sign on day one. Yeah. So the transaction load just kind of naturally gets spread out. 
and it gets prioritized by the people who like actually want to use their stuff right now. Yeah. And you're just tracking, you're just ensuring that they can't basically spin things up twice by using that index you were talking about, by creating that yeah. PDA at that given index so that it can only be created once. That's, that is cool. I get it now. Hooray. Yeah. You need exactly <laughs> once. Like it can't, it can't be run more than once. Can't be run less than once. But the, that's the other cool thing is that we can, you know, go through and look at all these like PDA blocks on chain and we can index them with Helios and we can actually see the progress of the migration and, you know, go snipe ones that haven't been migrated yet and make sure yeah, that I was just thinking the that it's ported. Nice. Um, so if the users, the <laughs> <laughs> so like if the users are able to like do this, this lazy instantiation, like you're, you're describing, that was going to be like the next question I was going to ask you, what, at what point does it come that they just don't do it or like take a really, really long time? Does the, the helium foundation have the ability to instantiate it for them? So that way you don't have to try to like maintain that old deprecated state tracking i guess yeah these are, these things are we purposefully made it permissionless so that thing that follows the interface can go basically like you you hit an api with your wallet address and it returns the serialized transactions that you need to run and then you just straight up submit those to solana so yeah we can go basically migrate the ones that that aren't migrated or leave it open forever it really doesn't like it doesn't cause any problems to have the you know, state not fully, like still partially compressed. It doesn't really do anything bad to have that happening. And in fact, would save some rent space, Cool, actually. So you're saying that like the user, the actual like owner of the inf- of that state, of that information, their particular private key does not have to sign that transaction. Anyone could instantiate their account. You just have to say, basic, uh, kind of like a public Helios endpoint of, here's this address, give me the state. I will send it to Solana for them. Like the, the Helios foundation could do that or the helium foundation. Damn, I did it again. The helium foundation could do that to like instantiate everyone's state that if they wanted to, it doesn't have to be the actual owner of the data. Yeah. And that like the goal with this was that like the state as of the helium like migration, when the chain was halted, like that is a fact. And in an ideal world, that fact transports directly over Solana and that same fact is true. But we don't want to, you know, run 10 billion transactions. So the state route yeah. of the lazy transactions is that fact. And by making it permissionless, we're saying, yeah, anybody, it's not just us, anybody can make this fact true. And not just us. And that this thing just doesn't get changed. It is this is the the canonical proof. This is, you know, the export file that we can point to that we generated it from. If you run our script that generates transactions from this export file, you can verify that it generates the same state root. You can then go look at that state root on Solana and see that we're not pulling your leg. You can go look at the export. You can see that everything matches the chain. And we're really trying to make like a supremely well auditable trail <laughs> that people can go and prove like we didn't do anything bad here. Like we didn't mint extra tokens. Everything is exactly as it was on Helium. Because this isn't an airdrop. Yeah. This is a this is a state dump. Yeah, it's a it's a migration. Nice. Yep. The great uh, migration. <laughs> the it great is, migration. It is a massive. That one. is that is. Be- before we wrap, I'm curious for anyone who's listening who wants to mess around with helium and get involved. What is, in your opinion, the 
the, well, two things, what is the cheapest entry point? And then also what is like the least technical entry point? So I would say uh, an interesting thing to do if you want to like mess around with the IoT network is that you don't have to run a hotspot to go use the network. So if you're kind of like a a hardware hacking type of person, it's kind of fun. Like you can build a mapper um, on the IoT network. We actually, as a team, we each built a mapper at one of our offsites, which is pretty interesting. If you want to kind of experience the network operator side of things, I think, you know, people are making hotspots now that are as cheap as $100, or at least they're working on it. And then, you know, on the Solana side of things, I have not had time yet to even, you know, buy a hotspot and set one up. And I have plenty to do, obviously. (laughs) So there's, you know, there's a bunch of interesting things to do on Solana. Just still a lot of uh, tooling that that could be built here. For example, there are a few people working on the problem of like large node operators. So like, what do you do if you have a thousand hotspots or 10,000 hotspots? Like, how do you manage that fleet? There's a lot of interesting problems kind of, you know, within the helium space. Cool. That's awesome. Well, sweet. This was incredibly educational and also just a lot of fun to like learn more about Helium, the migration, all, all of that. It sounds like a ton of work has gone into making making this possible. So, um, you know, kudos to you, your team, the rest of Helium Foundation for uh, for making this work. I'm excited to to see it all pan out on the 18th. Yeah, me too. It's going to be it's going to be fun. We've got it. Got it. So that all we got to do is click a merge button. Uh, well, upload the export, then click a merge button, and then it all just runs. Nice. That's Automation. awesome. That's awesome. So I if everything goes well, I'll just be sitting at just my Just sitting computer. there with popcorn, just watching, just like, okay, <laughs> hit the button, let's go. <laughs> let's hope I'm one of them. I, I don't think I will be. I think uh, <laughs> something something will always go wrong, but it's important to always build things so that they can you know, go the right way the easiest, because something this many moving parts, you don't want to leave anything to chance. Yeah, you hope you can sit on standby and only on standby all day, but you got to be ready just in case. It's gonna be real. It's gonna be really fun to watch like the first epic pass because um, this whole thing's like hooked up with clockwork. So once a midnight UTC hits, a bunch of clockwork threads will start running and like tokens will start getting distributed. It's gonna be cool. That's awesome. That's way cool. I can't wait. I'm gonna I'm gonna be watching the the chain to see just to watch. Yeah, I should just there do, with like, you in I should do a live stream of like the first You epic. should totally do a live stream. <laughs> and then it as yes. an NFT. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Cool, man. Well, thanks for joining us, Noah. This yeah, was a lot of fun. Lot. We'll have to uh, we'll have to do it again in the not too distant future. Sounds good. Cool. All right. To everyone listening, until next week. Peace out. Bye.